everyone, and welcome to Words of Wellness, the podcast where we consider the ways people think, speak, and write about wellness. I'm Daniel Anderson, and we're coming to you from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Today, we're going to be talking about wellness coaching, and I have four guests with me. I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves. I'm Tyler. I'm Siri. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Kate. So uh, let's get started talking about coaching and wellness. We've been talking about wellness a lot over the last few months, but I've yet to talk with anyone about coaching. What makes talking about wellness in terms of coaching different from other conversations about wellness? In other conversations of wellness, a big portion of the rhetoric and conversation used is talking about how you should be thinking about life and how you should interpret the things around you. But with coaching, the focus is a lot more on the individual who's individual being coached and like you. And I think that's a really big distinction between what we've been talking about before. I definitely agree with that. And whenever we were like learning about all of the different ones, I found that coaching felt more like inspirational and empowering than the other. The others were kind of like talking you through certain situations, whereas the coaching books were like inspiring and empowering you to move forward. What surprised you about the books that you read? With the book I read, I was surprised by its crude nature from time to time. And also I was kind of surprised how much the author also talked about himself and his story within anecdotal evidence on how he was able to like grow his life and therefore like his advice can also be applicable to other people. So I found that it was interesting to notice how the author weaved in his story into helping uh, the readers. I completely agree, Siri. Our books seem very similar on, um, like my book's crew nature is kind of the special marketing technique for it. And he definitely likes to talk about his life and how he is an American, which makes him better for some reason. But I was pretty skeptical of the coaching genre, but like the actual advice he gives isn't really that bad of advice. It's more like practice positive self-talk, like resist those negative thoughts through action. You never want to be just sitting there and watching the world go by. And I, I definitely agree with those statements. And another thing that made my book unique was in the books we've been reading, it focused on like scientific fact about like how exercise will make you feel better do better etc and like how doing certain things like thinking about something that makes you happy will make you more happy in the future but all of those were just you read you interpret you try to do in life but in my book those half of the pages were like fill in the blanks think about yourself and write down qualities you have in yourself and what you want to improve on and it was just polarizing to see how much how much more focus there was on the individual um one thing that really surprised me and whenever i started reading my book was in each chapter there were just two words and there were two contrasting words and then the author would tell a story about his personal life through it and then the next um it was called the surfer and the sage so one part was the story of the surfer and then the other was the sage which kind of described the the two words and how it's like applicable to like everyone's life, not just his personal story, which was really neat whenever I was reading it. 
did any of the books take up science? Was there science woven into them at some level, or were they really just more anecdotal and personal? For my book, uh, Chernovic in Gorilla Mindset mentions fitness, and he utilizes anatomy to discuss how uh, to think about your body and everything. So there is some of that scientific language within the book, but not necessarily the scientific analysis, I feel. Rather, these books tend to employ language to provide almost ethos to the writing itself and to provide ethos to the author itself to attempt for the fact that, oh, he, Chernovic is trying to appear as a smart guy, but by listing, I guess, gluteal, um, Maximus or something, he mentioned that in the book. I, I just, I think he's just trying to use language to make him appear smarter rather than actually employ analysis. I think in my book, there's like two like science examples he used, which was like the system one of our minds and then system two, like the automatic, we don't think about it. Like you identify colors, there isn't like a thought behind that really. And then system two would be like interpreting what system one has. And I've heard that before. And then one other thing was like comparing his like advice to like exposure therapy and um, like actual like therapy offices. But those are two, the only two I can think of that was even slightly like scientific. Yeah. So the way that these books um, gather their authority has much more to do with, as you said, Siri, the ethos or the kind of standing of the author. It's testimonial based rather than uh, evidence, scientific evidence-based, fair to say? Yeah, exactly. And that's within the, if we analyze like the name of the category itself, coaching, the ethos comes from the coach. Absolutely. Yeah, I could see that. And we could use analogies with other um, areas of life where an individual is the inspiring figure or, uh, I don't know, it's more driven by one person than a broad uh, claim, as you were saying, Tyler. It's not like uh, broad scientific evidence. It's more, I don't know, anecdote. Does that diminish our engagement? Or, you know, what, how, should we, how should we read these critically if the evidence that's being provided to us is more personal, more linked to individuals? Um, I would say, at least for my book, uh, it was kind of like on the border where mine could almost fit into the religious category. Um, and so that was in the spiritual category as well. And so that was really interesting, like reading it because it wasn't scientific based at all. It was kind of like his story and how he found like religious and spiritual evidence to provide for the story rather than scientific. Interesting. Were there other spiritual elements that showed up in, in any of your other books? No. So I wonder if um, by dialing back the scientific support in, these, in this genre of books, if it creates space for other adjacent topics. So Kirsten, you're saying there's spirituality was um, available in this one. I know uh, Siri 
Your book, I think, has been listed in some political circles as well. Did, did you find that there was more politics or more of any other kind of topic that comes up because these books are personal-based and not talking about science as much? Yeah, definitely. I uh, feel that he takes on a very... He employs language where people who are politically active would understand, and more so, I think it would be... The Guerrilla Mindset was written for men who are older and are generally involved within business and generally involved within fitness and I guess it also brings up bro culture and I think the book was directly written for bro culture and it's interesting because as a woman who is I'm in business and I'm also physically active uh, and I also involve myself within politics but from a different lens reading the book the tone was not intended for me it was intended for the other people adding on to what Siri said I think all of our books had a very different tone whereas yours are talking about like bro culture and uh, politics yours or series was talking about bro culture and politics Kristen's was talking about like spirituality and not quite sure what Kate was talking about <laughs> but and mine was just talking about self-improvement and I think the fact that these books are I think the fact that science is like left on the wayside allows for the diversity in these coaching books because if you don't have a focus on if you have less of a focus on like empirical proven things you allow for more diversity in what you talk about and that in turn allows coaching books to be very diverse and to allow the reader to, in a sort of sense, choose their own path on how they want to be coached and how they interpret their coaching. Yeah, I completely agree. I kind of like it more when it's less science-based because often I'm looking at the studies they cite and I'm like, is that really 60 participants? Isn't like amazing, especially when they go lower to like 10. But with the coaching genre, I feel it's a lot easier to not necessarily believe what they're saying but to like do what they're talking about because it's less you should do this because this this and this it's like you should do this because it'll make you like feel better or something else it's more like like a guided path meanwhile I feel like a lot of the other self-help books it's like chained like you can only go this way and you can only do this to get the best version of yourself I definitely agree with that. Something I found really interesting in my book compared to other books that I've read um, within the self-help book was that mine felt it was like targeted to like an entire, like anyone could read it and it would be applicable rather than like other books are like for female or like anything like that. And so mine was like, I really enjoyed it because of that aspect where it wasn't targeted to one group. It was like anyone can read this and understand what the author is trying to portray. Yeah. So we talked about gender a little bit, Siri. You're saying your book was targeted at men uh, very specifically. Is there also an age 
dynamic here. I know, Catherine, your uh, the title of your book is "Unbleep Yourself." We'll uh, leave that bleeped, but um, <laughs> I, I can imagine. Uh, just help me think through what audiences are being aimed at with a title like that or with these kinds of books. What can we say about the audiences for these books? At least for mine, it definitely seems not necessarily targeted towards men intentionally, but through like the language like the um, author uses, Bishop uses, he like will kind of like leave women out of the conversation when he does, does those like anecdotes. He'll be like, imagine like you're talking with your friends and you're going to the gym and they talk something about a woman. And I'm like, that wouldn't necessarily happen to like a group of women or they're like, imagine trying on suits or like stuff like that. And at least for like my book specifically, it seems like it's geared towards the people who are skeptical or skeptical of self-help books where they're like, I want a different book, an edgy book. He definitely goes towards like that edgy thing with his use of profanity, which I find kind of silly, but you know, that's my opinion. Is there a kind of stereotype then, and this might not apply to all the books, but especially uh, Catherine and Siri, these kind of, I don't know, bully your way through life type books saying, you know, uh, be assertive, step up to, you know, are they trying to create a, a model that's, I, I don't know, a caricature or a stereotype? Is there some of that in the way these books work or am I jumping too far? I would say so. I think as, um, I think with these books, they, when they do this, uh, meanness in a sense they're trying to appeal to their reader because since sometimes when this male reader who is a bro is reading this book they don't want to feel like they're getting rid of their masculinity in some sense because if we really think about self-help a lot of it has to do with introspection and feelings of uh where you question yourself and sometimes that doesn't align with masculinity at least for mine once you get over like the like sections where he just talks about himself and then uses random quotes from like male philosophers his advice actually seems way more applicable to like the broader audience like engaging in like positive self-talk and like retraining your brain to like not think so negatively like that can apply to anyone but because of the way he uses his language i feel like he's definitely not including a wider audience. Yeah, I completely agree with what you said. Yeah. And this isn't to say that <clears throat> all coaching books are like geared towards the bro guy. Um, at the very least, my book feels like it's geared towards anybody who just is having a life crisis of some sorts and wants to come back to the roots and try to improve themselves. So it, it can be a lot broader a category. Something kind of interesting that you brought up, uh, Catherine, was um, that since it was like a male author, um, my book had two male authors, which 
I thought would kind of structure it towards um, men a little bit more, but they did like a really well job of like being very inclusive to everyone. So I just found that really interesting while reading. Yeah, I like um, your book is called The Surfer and the Sage. You said in many ways, I think it's using that metaphor of surfing, which you would think would be really particular. So if I don't Mm -hmm. surf, how is this book going to be applicable to me? Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of the ways that it broadens that out it's not about surfing but it is in some ways um so he kind of talks about his life story and so he really uses the surfer to as a metaphor of like overcoming life's waves or like uh something like that but he uses like his story like he had lost his son and so like many of the chapters were focused on that and like how to overcome that as a family and then the surfing was mentioned, but it was also used in a really, like, interesting way that, like, made it inspirational for, like, so a non someone that didn't surf. It was just like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. Like, look at all these experiences. Um, rather than just being, like, like, using that tone of, like, surfer that the normal person probably wouldn't understand, but he makes it, like, understood to all. Nice. So I feel like we've looked at some of the ways in which these books are unique or the coaching genre skews a certain way. It's a little less scientific. Some of them are uh, more particular in their audience, maybe with a male audience in, in two of our cases, but not all. Um, so um, let's talk about some of their strengths. Catherine, you mentioned that there were some really solid strategies in here. What, you know, without science... What are they offering us? What are some of the big takeaway uh, bits of advice that come through in these books? At least for me, um, a lot of the book like focused on like the assertive self and then the narrative self. The narrative self just sits back and like narrates life as it goes on while the assertive one takes what they want and engages in people and doesn't shy away from like a lot of negative emotions. Like, you know, failure is a thing that life has and if you're too afraid of it, you'll watch it pass by. So that was like the main like strengths I really liked. I really liked the advice they gave like just doing stuff regardless on how like your brain thinks because honestly that sometimes that's what you got to do your brain's just not gonna like turn off all those like negative feelings and negative thoughts but if you do something and you get absorbed in it often you forget what you were feeling in the first place yeah totally i also think Chernovic provides useful strategies within gorilla mindset he talks about the importance of self-talk and he says it's important to treat yourself or talk to yourself as if you would talk to a trusted friend um he says that a good strategy he recommends is recording yourself when you're talking about yourself and then replaying it back and then when you replay it back you realize all the negative things you're saying and then you said imagine you said that to a friend then y'all wouldn't be really good friends anymore um and he provides other examples of the importance of uh mindfulness even within walking just noticing the way you move so i think he does provide useful examples but as catherine said due to tone and due to language being used sometimes despite it being useful strategies uh it is 
really for one audience to consume. And a common theme among at least Siri and my books were that a big portion of the book is self-reflection. So instead of deriving like um, logos, no, credibility from science, like if a person believes something, then they are more likely to do it themselves. So by having the person think about themselves and maybe like reflect about reflect about how they talk about themselves, they can identify what it is they don't like about themselves so that they can work on it. And it's something that they want to work on, which makes it a lot easier for them to get going. As my book kind of, or as I had mentioned earlier, um, my book had like two contrasting words as the label of like each chapter. And so at least for my book, um, it was really like relaxing almost to read, which was really interesting and helpful to me because like with all of us, I know, it, I'm sure all of us have like so much schoolwork and stuff and we get like really overwhelmed. Um, and so mine was kind of like a take a step back, like relax, everything's going to be okay, which was a really easy read and really helpful, like where I was at, like in school and like stress and stuff like that. I like that a lot, Kirsten. Um because I think it's easy to get lulled into a sense that these books are a vehicle and they're going to give you some kind of message. So if you carefully read it, it'll say do A, B, and C, and that's going to help with problem D, uh, formulate kind of thing. And Tyler, I think you said your book had actual forms to fill in or, you know, it's like actually telling, write this down, make lists, do these sort of list making things. So what I'm hearing is that the books themselves, at least uh, the two here, were in acting their messages a little bit. If you spent time with your book, you would get this sense of perspective. Forget about the little things. Let's let's look at the big picture. Or you might make a list of these concerns that you have. So I really like that. The book itself is doing self-help in some ways as opposed to just delivering a message about self-help, if that makes sense. I think that's really interesting because where maybe Tyler's book could work for like some of the audience like that could be really helpful to some where they're writing out stuff but like for my book it was just so open to interpretation where I could maybe take some of the things that he was saying and I could be like okay let's do like a list kind of mentality like that could work for me or it could be like a big picture idea where I'm like okay let's just take a step back look at the big picture and then like take it one step at a time. And it was really, really helpful. So one of the things that we did to try to understand how these different genres of wellness books work is to read them and then identify language that shows up in the different categories. So you all made a dictionary, a list of terms that comes up regularly in the coaching genre of wellness books. Let me just read a few of them and we'll see uh, what thoughts we have. These ones jumped out at me because they were a little different than the others. There's some like spiritual or self-care that come up in almost all of the categories, but then in your category, there were things like future, business, potential, power, better goals, will, willpower, money. Are those the kind of focuses that set these books apart? Or what can we say about that type of language that shows up in these books? I think personally, with the willpower, specifically the will, a lot of my book was like, you need to go out into the future and take what you want, which is, I guess, part of it's like pandering to that like male audience. But a lot of it was talking about the future that you want through like certain steps you have to take or well, 
that would be better for you to take than just sitting by. So mine was definitely thinking about the future of what you want. I think with the money aspect, um, in my book, the author writes how, oh, you can also check out my podcast if you want to learn more. And it's almost like a pyramid scheme in some sense um, that is applicable to a lot of coaches because since once they sell you something they're trying to sell you more yeah you bring up one of the concerns that circulates around coaching and wellness has to do with the um uh, what does it take to become a wellness coach how do you go about doing that and i think if you're okay i'm going to play a clip that gives us some insights into into this coaching. So I, I looked into this a little bit. You can easily get a credential to be a life coach. There was one entity that was charging $250 and you take an online quiz. You can take the quiz as many times as you want. And a reporter took the quiz one time and missed too many questions and just took it again. They didn't even read any of the materials and got their credential in about an hour to be a life coach. So this is a, a licensed therapist talking about uh, that phenomenon. A life coach by themselves is not a therapist. If somebody comes to me and they're depressed or they have anxiety, I'm going to be able to help them with that because it's part of my training. Is part of the problem you think that anyone can become a life coach? Yes and yes. They aren't skilled with or understanding of mental illness they may not even recognize they shouldn't be going there. Is there something we should be doing to educate the public then? Or how concerning is this phenomenon of the openness of, of being able to be a life coach? I definitely think some people that go to life coaches actually need to go to a therapist. But there is still like a stigma around mental health. And like, if you go to mental health, that means mental health care services that means like you're sick or there's something wrong with you but I do think maybe there needs some to be some education in the public I don't think the regular like layman is gonna go to a life coach but maybe perhaps in those like upper class like communities or like especially I think men would rather go to a life coach than like a therapist because again the stigma around mental health so maybe something targeting those specific communities being like hey people you're going to don't actually may not know what they're actually doing yeah i completely agree with kate and think that the biggest issue here is that there is not enough education between the differences between a life coach a life coach and a therapist because I feel like a lot of the time life coaches are trying to blur the line in order to make themselves more desirable and appealing. But as long as you understand that life coaches come from a position of like anecdotes and just things they believe in and try to, I guess not impose, but help teach others, it becomes a lot clearer that it's like an option that you can go to if you want. But if you do need something more serious, therapy is a much better option. I completely agree with that. I think maybe a life coach would put out and voice their opinion um, on how to like solve a certain issue, whereas a therapist is going to take like all of the factors into consideration. 
um, before providing the help that you may need, which I think is definitely something that we should try to be informing the general public about. Yeah. Um, the difference between somebody who's being disingenuous and just trying to make money and somebody who is actually pursuing something they think is of value as a life coach, we should probably make note of that. So there's going to be bad apples trying to just capitalize on, on this tendency for life coaching to be popular. But is there a tangible difference between something like wellness and life coaching in terms of wellness might be more problem solving, you're having anxiety, there's something that it needs to be fixed, whereas life coaching is more of you're doing fine and you're trying to move to thriving. Is that fair to say or is that a, a false binary between those two? I think that's a pretty accurate description of the difference between wellness wellness and life coaching in a sense because when you're talking about wellness, you're trying to get to a state where you can feel well and be happy with yourself. But when you're life coaching, as the term implies, you're coaching yourself in a way that like in any other sense of the word coaching, you think about improving yourself past like average. If you're getting swim coached, you're like, I'm already a decent swimmer, but I want to be better and I want to be able to be competitive. So when you're getting life coached, you're already in a position where you're at least semi-comfortable with your life, but you're trying to get to the next step of, I guess, thriving. Yeah, and I think another aspect of life coaching has to do with perhaps professional development and uh, maybe connections within industry if the coach is rather than just a book, uh, a person that you go to on a weekly basis. And that's what people might be looking for when, I guess, as the clip intended, um, I don't necessarily think she was talking about the books of the coaching. I think maybe she was discussing... Um, life coaches within the sense where they try to address both your wellness and professional development opportunities. And also, I think it's interesting how if we tie into Maslow's pyramid, and I guess it's reaching to a, not just average, but to a competitive sense. Can, can you gloss that pyramid for us? Yes. So <laughs> um, the pyramid starts out with, actually, wait, can someone else? It gloss starts it? with basic necessities at the bottom, like food, shelter, water, etc. And then as you move up, you, I guess, I need, I don't have the exact pyramid, but I think Kate's pulling it up. Yeah, yeah. It's psychological needs, safety needs, love and belonging esteem and then self-actualizations at the top so there's a kind of trajectory implied when you move toward those top levels you're more in the coaching zone you're fine-tuning you're improving uh kind of moving along in some ways that contradicts a little bit Catherine, with the title of your book unbleep yourself which assumes there's already something wrong that needs fixing and i think there's probably no absolutes here even if somebody is saying do more positive self-talk, that's both improvement to thrive and it's also addressing something that might be holding you back. So in some ways, they're more in the improvement space, but it overlaps a little bit. And this concern with credentialing, 
is it's interesting to think about because at one level there are a lot of real predatory practices probably if somebody is struggling then they're more likely to kind of latch on to someone who says i can help you whether they're credentialed or not and that could be a real problem but by the same token maybe somebody can be inspiring and write one of these books or even start a business as a life coach if they have that personal kind of ethos driven ability to help people so we don't want to close the door just because you don't have an advanced degree but it's also op open to some predation but adding on to your thing about bad apples i think that unfortunately has pushed when we think about self coach or these coaching books they are mainly addressed towards middle class individuals and i think that is an unfortunate unfortunate byproduct of the fact that there are so many bad apples because in the middle age category or middle income category you have people who have dis both disposable income but they also are like trying to better themselves so by targeting that audience which is i believe what's happening you have a much greater chance at like swaying people and having them follow you like a cult like fashion also to add on to the idea of class and income i feel like this idea of life coaches have really existed throughout history because of people within communities who are respected who give advice but recently the phenomena of this life coaching is that it has become significantly more commercialized and therefore devalues its authenticity and its genuinity and also its ethos as well because since now anyone can become a life coach but in one of my classes i'm taking it's called um modern muslim societies we talk about the Sufi circle and Sufi masters who teach, who are respected individuals within communities and people would, they, these masters would be trained within uh, around 10 plus years of schooling on how to self-actualize themselves and common folk would go to these Sufi masters with questions they have about either agriculture or about love, about several, several things. And in the sense, they could be a life coach, but they're not making any profits from this. And it also, these Sufi circles and Sufi masters, they come from a lineage of families of Sufis rather than just, and I guess that makes it less accessible to become a life coach, but also it makes the quality much better. I find that really interesting and I definitely agree with what you say about it always being like prevalent kind of through history because I feel like there's always going to be like an industry around life coaching because people are always kind of searching for the next best thing and that's kind of what they get whenever they're reading a life coaching book. So it could be really like subjective, I guess, and the middle, I guess the middle income is always searching like we have all of this, but like the next best thing like we want more or like something like that and they're kind of confined that through a life coaching book rather than they, there's nothing like wrong but they're just searching for more i could see almost a vicious cycle in our culture that promotes more as the measure of how well you're doing in life and then a coaching industry that springs up to further that sense that if you only get coached a little better you too can get more and at some level, adjusting the entire framework of maybe more is not 
where you're actually going to find happiness could be a good outcome here. Well, is there anything else we should touch on before we wrap up? What uh, Anything left to say about your books that surprised you or that links with our conversation so far? I guess one last thing I wanted to observe was that when we were doing our dictionary analyses, analyses I think I saw that among all the other categories, coaching was like relatively middle to high for all the categories, which I think just is a testament to just how diverse the coaching books are. And also in our own category, we couldn't really get coaching that high. Yeah, absolutely. There was uh, this interesting overlap where coaching showed up in books what you wouldn't expect, this uh, spirituality category or other categories that had this kind of coaching uh, language threaded throughout all of these genres. Yeah. Which I guess maybe takes us to some thoughts about where we're going with these is to be discerning on your own, especially with these audience concerns of these self-help books or the coaching books in particular. It might not be aimed at you and you can um, uh, make your own choices about which of these books is going to work really well. And you can probably deploy these coaching strategies even when you're working in another area of wellness like self-development spirituality, all of those kinds of things. Well, thank you very much to my guests, Tyler, Siri, Kirsten, and Catherine. It's been a really engaging conversation, and um, we'll be back with another episode next week on Words of Wellness.